0: Amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. Good morning, church family. I want to follow up on uh, the welcome seed that Pastor Walter gave. I'm thankful uh, for the time to be together in God's house this morning to worship our great Heavenly Father and thankful for what he has done for us through the finished work of Christ. And for those of you that are with us watching online, I welcome you as well. Glad to have you here with us this morning. If you're a guest with us for the first time, you are here with us at the very end of our series that we've been going through the book of First Peter entitled Sojourners. We've been in this book for the last now eight weeks as of today, and uh, we're going to wrap it all up today with First Peter chapter 5, so you can go ahead and start to turn there uh, to be prepared for <clears throat> our time in the Word this morning. But I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, a wonderful time to be with family and friends and loved ones. I know in the uh, climate of COVID-19 and such, things were probably a little bit strange for some of us. uh, But it was a a great time uh, for my family, personally, just to be able to be together. We had some that could not be there because of concerns with the virus and all that, and that's totally understandable. But we had a wonderful, wonderful time, and I I hope and pray that you've had an opportunity to rest uh, in these last few days and be thankful and celebrate what God has done. I just tell you, looking over the last year so far and what God's been doing, even in the midst of COVID, in our congregation and the churches around this area, uh, it's just been it's been incredible to watch, and I'm so thankful for the work that God is doing here in the Park Circle community through his church. And uh, it should be something that we should be continually looking forward to, to see what God is going to do next, because I believe that great days are coming uh, for the gospel witness in this community. And so, um, as I mentioned, we are in the book of First Peter, chapter 5. We're finishing up Sojourners today. And why, why the title of Sojourners? Those of you know that, that have been here, you know. Uh, Peter's writing this to exiles, and he's, he's driving home the point that we have been called and saved to a living hope. We are God's chosen people and for those of us who are in Christ, and we are called to live a holy life and to remember that we are citizens of heaven, ultimately. Yes, we are here and we are living here in this world. We are citizens of the United States of America, but ultimately we are citizens of heaven because we've been bought with the blood of Christ. And so this is a model for us in how we are to live as Christians. I'm entitled the message today, Be the Church. Simply be the church, and we're going to look at a couple of different reasons why it is be the church, especially looking at a, a call to elders and also a call to the church in how we are to live. So with that said, let's stand together as we always do, and let's honor the reading of God's word by 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And the word of the Lord says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ." firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Sovereign God over this world. God, I thank you for what you have done for us, those of us in Christ, through the finished work of Christ at Calvary his defeat of sin and death, and his resurrection from the grave on the third day. But we gather here today because of that. It is because of the truth of the gospel and what you have done that we can gather together and exalt the name of Christ to worship you here in this place. And Father, I pray now, Lord, as we open your word, God, that you would be with me. Lord, as I proclaim the truths of your word, Lord, speak through me, let us be nothing of myself. Have your way during this time, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, for those that are sitting here in our midst and those that are watching online, as we all take this in and we all listen to what your Spirit is directing us, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would have open ears and open hearts, open minds to hear what you say today. Father, let the distractions fade away. Let us hear from you today. Father, have your way again, Lord, in this place. Lord, if there's conviction that needs to be brought about, if we need to be repentant of sins if you're calling us to step out in faith and to do something for your glory, Lord, make it clear to us today. Lord, I want to pray also for Center Point Church, Lord, and, and Pastor David Johnson as he stands in the pulpit today. In just a few moments, he'll be preaching. Lord, I just pray for this brother as his first day with Center Point today. I thank you, Lord, for his faithful gospel witness. I pray, Lord, that you would use him powerfully today at Center Point. We love you, Father. We bless you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. 1 Peter 5. In this passage of Scripture today, we are prayerfully going to see that the church is called to live in a way set apart where the elders shepherd the flock of God. The flock lives a holy life, God honoring, trusting the Lord, and praising Him with its life. So with that said, you know we're going to dive right into some points. The first point is this. Elders shepherd the flock of God. Elders shepherd the flock of God. Look again at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. First thing is that Peter says so. Now, he says so here, and this is a tie-in with what he has concluded with last week when we saw in chapter 4, verses 12-19, through when Pastor Walter delivered a powerful message, all believers are going to suffer because we're called to it. All believers are called to it. We remember that back from chapter 2, verse 21, where Peter says, For to this you have been called, because of Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, In this particular section, Peter is writing about this, and he's he's talking here first in these first four verses to the elders. Let's go ahead and and lay out something for a better understanding for each of us. We have to remember, if you remember back over the summer, when we finished up in chapter 5 of James, he was talking about... Elders, And i established this idea for us of the plurality of elders in a congregation. So if you see the word here as elders, you can also think pastor. Those words can be used in the same way. Now, he, he's telling us here, as he's addressing these elders first off, he says, "...I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ." Now, he's, he's talking to these elders and he has to understand and we have to take in and make note of the fact that as elders of a congregation, those are, are, are some of the ones that may very well experience the sufferings firsthand, even before the flock at times, because we are the ones that are leading the flock. There are times when we are going to be facing sufferings ourselves and we have to model an example to you, the flock of God. Elders also at times feel the strain and weight of seeing members of the flock. Have the sufferings that they face. Feel the weight of the things that we're watching you go through. It can be difficult. It can be something hard to take in and to watch. But we care for you. And we're keeping watch over your souls. And we want to see God move and work in your life. And it can put a strain on us. Not in a bad way. But a strain on us because of our love and care for the flock. He says that he's a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, he's making sure that those who are elders that read this letter understands that he sympathizes with them because he's been there. But make note of this. When Peter is saying this as one has been a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he's not necessarily meaning that he's proclaiming what he has seen in the risen Lord. He's giving the context, though, of why he's writing this letter. He's giving the context of why he's saying what he's saying. is the fact that he has suffered or will suffer in his own right, we know from church history that Peter would eventually be martyred for his faith. Church history tells us that Peter would be crucified. It tells us also that Peter did not want to be crucified in the same way as our Lord, and he would be crucified upside down. Peter would suffer and would die, would be martyred for the faith. He has gone about and he's proclaimed the good news of the gospel as he has gone out and ministered as an apostle of God. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. For each of us in Christ, we can rejoice because we know of that glory that is going to come because of the truths of the Scripture. Now he tells them in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, let's look at this. Verse 2 specifically, first off. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly. It is a willing desire. It's a desire that is given by God to the man that he calls in that type of role. It is a desire that God has placed there. It's a noble task. As Paul, the apostle, tells Timothy in 3.1 of 1 Timothy, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It is a noble task that is desired. He says also there in verse 2, as God would have you. And that can literally be translated according to God. According to God. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, or according to God, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elders are not to shepherd the flock. Pastors are not to shepherd the flock of God for selfish gain. We should not be in the roles that we stand before the congregation, leading and and, and ministering to and shepherding the flock. We should not be doing this for selfish gain. And God, help us if we are. I can tell you honestly before you that I know myself and I know Walter. We do not do this for selfish gain. We do this because God has set us apart and called us to this role. It's a humbling thing that God has done to us by calling us to this. Paul also in Titus 1-7, he talks about these qualifications. He says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. That doesn't mean that elders aren't to be paid, but it doesn't mean that we should be greedy. We should be selfish. We should be seeking things for ourselves. It's part of the calling that God has placed on the life of an elder. He continues in verse 3, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. An elder pastor should not be in the office just to domineer over others. They are not put there by God to do such a thing. Elders and pastors are in the role to be an example, as Peter describes here. And they do so by setting the example by the way in which they live their life, walking in humility, loving God, loving his people, being generous in their time, their efforts, their tithes, whatever it may be. It's the way in which the shepherds are called to love and care for and set the example to the flock. Verse 4 tells us, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. A couple things to point out from there. The reality for ministers, for shepherds, for elders is that we have a high, serious calling given to us by God to shepherd the flock. And if you recall from our membership process that we began to talk about over these last several weeks, when we had the foundations class over the last couple of weeks on the 15th, and we sent out the letter to those that have been on our roll for quite some time, and we're letting them know, hey, we want to update our membership. We want to be active. We want to be faithful to what we have here. One of the verses that was quoted there, and it's a verse that I cling to, and the role that I stand in is from Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where the writer says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. It's a very serious calling for an elder. It's a very serious calling for the one that stands in that role. And prayerfully, as God moves and God works through our church, as we continue to grow it spiritually, numerically, and we see things happen, we'll be able to bring on more elders to the congregation for a plurality as we see biblically laid out for us in Scripture. And we will hold these brothers alongside of us to give an account according to what we have in God's Word. One thing, though, that's is, is very important to point out from verse 4, is it, it says the chief shepherd says the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is Christ Jesus. We serve as under shepherds, those of us as elders, we serve as, as under shepherds to the chief shepherd, Christ Jesus. He is the one that has complete authority over all things. We submit to his authority, and the church, and we'll get to this in a moment, submits to that authority of the elders, who are all of us in one accord submitting ultimately to the authority of Christ. But this chief shepherd, he is going to return. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's a day coming when the chief shepherd appears. There's a day coming when Christ Jesus returns. Where the day of the Lord will come and it is finally happening where we will all be called up there with him in heaven, reigning and being a part of God's kingdom forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. But it says there, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I know that he's talking here to elders, and, and it's this call for elders to live a faithful life following what we've covered here, following in the other places of Scripture and the pastoral epistles, all of those different things. This crown of glory that is mentioned here, it's not like what it was awarded to the citizens at the time of ancient Greek culture. Not where they would have this because that crown is eventually going to fade away. That crown will dissolve. That crown will be no more. No, the crown that is being talked about here is commonly referred to as the imperishable crown. And you recall with me, back from James again over this summer, James 1.12, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see, the beauty of this church is that this reward is not just necessarily reserved for elders. It is reserved for all who love the Lord and are faithfully following him that have been bought with the precious blood of Christ the beautiful reminder of what is to come. What is to come in glory? What is to come in that day when we see Christ Jesus face to face? I hope and pray that you long for that day. So not only are elders pastors to shepherd the flock of God, but secondly, Peter changes the direction here and addresses the flock. The flock pursues holy lives. The flock pursues holy lies. Look again at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now here in this first part of verse 5, 5a if you will, he says, likewise, those of you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now this phrasing of likewise shifts the attention to this other group of people. And there's a differing of opinions of who he's referring to here as younger. Some would see the word elders and he thinks he's just talking about somebody that is older. But no, in this context, and what the majority of uh, scholars are saying is, they believe that this context of what Peter's writing to is he's literally speaking to the younger folks in the congregation. And why would that be? Well, those people would be more inclined potentially to be rebellious or insubordinate to the elders or pastoral authority in the church. But I would even encourage this. To the younger and the older, if God has set the elders before the congregation to strive to lead a faithful life, living it for God's glory and modeling and submitting to the authority of the chief shepherd as the elders to the flock, all should be in submission to that leadership that God has placed there. Because if we are not doing so, if we're being insubordinate, if you will, or not being submitted to that authority, we're also not being submitted to God because if the elders, unless there's 100% proof of them not living a life that is holy and pleasing to God and and living against the teachings of Scripture, then there's a problem there. But if they are and they're modeling this, the church should be submissive to that authority. The second part there of verse 5 again says, clothe yourselves All of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now he changes it there. In that moment, he's talking to the younger. But then he includes it for everyone there. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Now when he's saying that, it doesn't even mean just the congregation. It's referring to all of you, which means the elders, pastors as well. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Another. Now that he's made that comment in verse 5a, he's talking here to the rest of the church. What does this concept of clothe yourself mean? Well, it means specifically to adorn oneself, to fasten or to put on garments. And Peter is calling the believers to walk in humility toward one another. Walking in humility towards one another. What does that mean? It means that we put each other first. It means that we put our interests and our desires, our wants, to the side. And we do what is necessary for the body. We come alongside one another. We care for one another. We walk humbly. We submit to Christ. We submit to the authority that is before us. We say, what does God's kingdom need? What is God calling us to do? How can we help one another? It's caring for another's desires. Caring for another's needs. More than our own. To put it bluntly, it's a sacrifice. We have to sacrifice our wants and our desires to care for others. And I would even dare say, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we do that for the body, but we do that in harvest as well. We pray continually every day, as Pastor Walter did right there at the beginning, for the harvest. We pray for the harvest continually, earnestly crying out to God that he would move and work and build up labors for the harvest. And as we are out there in the harvest, where we live, work, and play, where we're around our neighbors, where we're in the schools that God has given us access to be inside of, we show humility. We show love. We sacrifice our wants and our desires for the people that are around us, being a model of what God has called us to if you recall with me at what we studied at the very beginning of 2020 and I will say this I know 2020 has been rough I know there's been so much that has happened in this year so you may not remember what we covered at the beginning of 2020 and I get that but I want to remind you in Philippians we went through the book of Philippians at the beginning of this year chapter 2 3 through 4 Paul says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, here in the second part of verse 5, when Peter says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, he's quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, 34. You can just jot that down, make a note of that. And you can also tie that in with James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace. To the humble. And this is not just talking about a, a salvific grace. No, it's the context of grace here is about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He continually gives that grace to us. So grateful for it. Verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read together for a purpose. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. As Peter continues in the subject matter of humble living, we must read these two verses together for a purpose. We are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. No matter how difficult the suffering may be that we face, we are to humble ourselves and to remain humble, trusting God through the process. Pastor Walter talked about this last week. Although we have brother and sister congregations all over the globe that are facing persecution, that are dying... And although we don't face that necessarily right now here in America, we still have sufferings, and we will not make light of those things. There are difficult things that we face. There are sufferings that we encounter in this life. We've already established it. Back in chapter 2, we are called to it. We are to follow the modeling and the example of Christ as He is the one that paid the ultimate price in our place. He suffered, taking on God's wrath. We have seen that example And so for us as followers, no matter what we face, no matter how difficult it may be, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, trusting him, knowing, as it says there in the second part of verse 6, that at the proper time he will exalt us. Thank God that he will. How can we specifically do that? Well, verse 7 tells us, casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let that verse sink in for a moment. The divinely inspired and errant living word of God tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Well, Brian, I'm a believer. I know that he cares for us. Jesus died for me, as you said. Yes, you are right. But I think each and every one of us, probably at one point or another this year, have been distracted by some of the things that have been going on around us, have we not? There have been times where things are difficult. There are times when things are hard. This year has been an example of it. And there are many things, and get this. let's go ahead and make this clear. 2020's been rough. There's no guarantee that 2021's going to be better. There's no guarantee that 2022 will be better. Here's the reality. We are going to consistently have problems in this life. Until the day Jesus comes back, there will be problems. There will be difficulties. But I know this. Our problems start and that problem ends. And then we have a moment of peace. And then another problem starts, and another problem will end. Those problems come and go, and we do have some moments of peace. But what is the one thing that is constant? What is the one thing that is never going away? Jesus Christ. So no matter what sufferings we take on, no matter how difficult they are, no matter how anxious they make us feel, no matter how stressed we are, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties on him because he died for you. Cast your cares and your anxieties on him because you know he's coming He cares for us, church. He died for us. He's coming back for us. Praise God. Verse 8 says Be sober mindful, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's all good. Peter says to be sober-minded. Some of you are going to have that image of me dancing forever. I'm sorry. Peter says to be sober-minded and to be watchful. We need to be on the alert, church. This is about a spiritual alertness. We need to be watchful. We need to be prepared. He uses the term devil. And that can also be translated there as adversary or slanderer. Peter gives the image of a devil prowling around like a roaring lion, which you can look at in in Psalm 22, seeking to devour Christians. Now we can see in just a moment in verse 9 of how this can be uh, translated for us and points to the sufferings of many other brothers that face different things. But we must understand that there are those also in our lives when, they, when there are times that, that we face suffering, those people that are sinful, that are lost, that do not know Christ, those people also bring about suffering in our lives. They don't know the way in which they are to live. They don't know the way in which we have been called to live as followers of Christ. We face difficulties. We face sufferings. We know that the enemy wants to do any and everything in his power to devour us, take us out. But Peter says there in verse 9 to resist Him. Resist Him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He says there to resist Him, firm in your faith. I want to, encourage, I want to offer some encouragement and a little bit of a commentary, if you will, on this verse, Peter states this to be firm in our faith and our resisting. How do we do this? As I was reading this verse and I began to jot down some ideas, one of the commentaries I like to, to reference that's helped me through this first Peter, Peter series is the ESV expository one. And, and Dr. Sam Storm writes in there. And as I'm jotting out my notes, I'm looking, and, and he gives examples of how we resist. And they lined up. I was like, wow, I got something right with a biblical scholar. This is great. But I look at it, and I was just like, it's so powerful, the way in which he put those things. And I was like, thank you, Lord, you confirm these truths. What are some ways in which we do that? Well, we put on the armor of God. How do we resist the attacks of the enemy? We put on the armor of God. And if you want to jot down a reference, you can jot down Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. And if you want to go on our website, you can actually go back to over a year ago, Pastor Walter finished our series in Ephesians with chapter 6, and he gives a great expository of how each of those pieces work together. But we put on the armor of God. We stay persistent in prayer to the Father. We have a consistent prayer life. It's just not something that we do whenever we want something. We do whenever we feel like we need to cry out to Him. Man, I messed up. I got to call out to God. No, we continually persistently pray to him. Ephesians 6:18. We worship. We cry out to him in worship continually. We meditate on God's word. We look at this truly as the divinely inspired and errant word of God and we trust That as we are consistently praying to God, we're putting on the armor of God. We are staying put in God's word that the spirit of God will move and work and God will speak to us. God will direct us. We will continually have the word of God put into us every time we take it in and we meditate on it. And it's not just checking off our reading plans. It's truly taking it in, reading the Word, studying the Word, and saying, Father, I come before You. Lord, I don't know the things I need to know. I need You to tell me. I need You to train me. I need You to equip me through the power of Your Spirit. Lord, I come before You. I clear my mind. I put everything away. And I ask You to speak to me through Your Word. Meditate on His truths. Meditate on what He's telling us through the Word that He has given to us. Lastly, walk in obedience to God. Walk in obedience to God. If we are consistently crying out to God in prayer, if we are consistently meditating on the truths of His Word, if we are consistently worshiping Him, crying out to Him in song, Him in spiritual songs, praising Him for who He is and what He has done, We are going to walk in obedience, prayerfully. Another thing that I would tell you coming out of these verses would be when we are facing times of suffering, and I know this sounds odd, rejoice in your suffering. Brian, that does sound odd. That does sound hard. How am I to do that? What you are facing is not something new. See that encouragement of what he has just told us in verse 9. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The brotherhood throughout the world, the church throughout the world, for all of history since Christ Jesus resurrected from the grave and sent them out on the Great Commission until the day Christ Jesus returns, the church is going to face suffering. We are not the only ones that face it, so we have got to do, along with the brothers, and rejoice that we get to follow the model of Christ. Living a holy life, rejoicing when we face the difficult times. I'm reminded of what we have just got done studying over the last couple of weeks through our chronological reading plan. We were in the book of Acts. If you remember there in Acts 5, there's, there's suffering that takes place. Acts 5.42. After the suffering has happened, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffer dishonor for the name. Every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. Christ is Jesus. These Apostles are going out and they're being beaten. They're, being, they're, they're having to suffer for the sake of Christ. And they're told to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And yet they rejoice in the fact that they got to suffer. Now I know here in our context of what we have today, and this is going right along with what Pastor Walter said last week, I know, I know that we are not getting beaten right now for our faith. I know that. But we are facing difficulties when we go to our neighbors that we're trying to build relationships with and they want nothing to do with us after they find out that we're Christian. Or you're in your workplace and your boss gives you, you know what, because you have now made it known that you are a follower of Jesus. And you're trying to establish things and maybe build relationships and pour into people and tell them the gospel. I know that there are difficulties that we face that are not necessarily as, as hard as, as death. Are being beaten for our faith. But we still face hardships. We still suffer for the name of Christ. And in the midst of that suffering, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice because, just as they did, we are counted worthy. Worthy to suffer dishonor for the name name above all names, King Jesus. Praise God for that. Moving into verses 10 and 11, point number three. You know, I'll be quick. Trust God's promises and exalt Christ. Trust God's promises and exalt Christ. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Here again is another powerful, encouraging word, church. He says, there first, after you have suffered a little while. I love that. Because here's the reality our suffering is temporary, our suffering is temporary. Our suffering on the grand line of eternity is nothing but a mere speck. After we have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Stop there. Remember that he is the God of all grace. He is the God of all grace. He has called us who are in Christ to eternal glory because of Jesus' finished work at Calvary. Going to the cross after being betrayed by one of his followers for 30 pieces of silver. Being beaten, mocked, flogged. And then nailed to that cross where he took on God's wrath in our place. Defeating sin and death, resurrecting on the third day. That Jesus will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love those four verbs because they all speak of the future tense. He The great chief shepherd, when he returns, when he appears, when the day of the Lord takes place, when that time comes and we are before the Father in eternity, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. All doing what Peter mentioned in verse 6, exalting us. Wow. What a beautiful promise of the future glory that is to come. And it's all because, verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Him be dominion. He reigns supreme. He reigns eternal. He will never get off of his throne. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. Amen very, very quickly. I don't want to pass on this. Point number four, and it's a funny way of putting it. Don't pass on the final greetings. Don't pass on the final greetings. There are many times that we'll read through these books of the Bible. We'll get to this part, and it's just a final greeting. It's just like, oh, it's just a final greeting. I'll just read through real quick. I'm good. There is still good pieces of nuggets in there. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We know who Silvanus is because of his, his journeys with Paul. You know that if you, if you just literally within the last day or two read through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you know that Paul mentions Silvanus in the opening greeting of the passage. And he says there, Sylvanus is mentioned by Peter here, and he's regarded highly. Now, this could be simply because he was a carrier of the letter or the fact that, that he was the secretary under which Peter was giving oversight, telling him what to write. But either way, we know he's a trusted brother with Peter, and he affirms him in being that. But there's that little good piece of nugget there again in verse 12 at the very end, declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Everything that Peter has just laid out for us all through this book, five chapters, preached through in eight weeks. We could have preached through it in 12. I mean, Pastor Walter, God bless him. He went through all of chapter four last week, and there was like four sermons that could have come out of that. God bless you, brother. Such good stuff in this book. Every bit of those teachings we need to take, We need to reflect on, we need to let the Lord speak to us as we read through it again. I would encourage you to go back through this book, take your notes, follow through with it. But here's the beauty of it, stand firm in it. 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. This she here—it's not referring to a specific woman. It is referring to the church with Peter at Babylon that could also be as a code word for Rome. He's writing to these exiles, talking about this concept of being sojourners, citizens of heaven. This church is likewise chosen, just like the ones he's writing to, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Here in this context, he's writing about Mark the same way in which Paul writes about Timothy in the scriptures. Paul was one that would take along young Timothy alongside of him. He called him his son. He was a son of the faith. It was someone that he was training up. He was discipling as he continued to minister the word of God. Doing the same thing with Mark here is Peter. He says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, Verse 14, Peter obviously did not have to face covid At the time when he tells them to kiss each other. Did he? We would get our hand popped by the CDC if we did that. Greet one another with a kiss of love. He's telling the church to do this in a way in which you do with family. The family of God. Biological, yes. There's family in that relation. But we are spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this emphasis here of the love for one another that Peter has been continually talking about through this letter. And he says, peace to all who are in Christ. That is a strong biblical truth in and of itself right there, church. Because no matter the sufferings, no matter the anxieties, no matter the hardships that we face, man, you can go ahead and come forward, no matter those things that we face, for those in Christ, there is peace. Well, Brian, I don't really feel like I have a lot of peace right now given what I'm going through. I don't feel like I have a lot of peace right now given what is happening in our world. And I hear you, but it goes back to what we've already established, what the Word of God has established for us. If you are in Christ, you know that these sufferings are just temporary. You know what is coming in the future glory when the chief shepherd appears. How we long for that day. I pray that you're longing for that day. If you're here and you need prayer, you need counsel, you need direction as a follower of Christ, like, hey, I don't know what to do next, but this is what I have going on, and I need help. Let us know that. Let us know how we can come alongside of you, pray for you, equip you, be there for you. If you're watching with us online, The same goes for you. If you're in this room right now or you're watching online and you'd say, I don't have a relationship with this Jesus that you're talking about. Please, please don't leave this place. If you're here, if you're watching, please go to that link and reach out to us. Let us come alongside of you and tell you the truths and the glories even deeper of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the reason we gather because of Christ Jesus' finished work. Before the band sings, I want us to take a moment of quiet reflection. We're going to take this moment of, of prayer. and We're going to ask God, Lord, what is it that you have said to me today through this? What is it that you're calling me to next? What is it that I need to repent of? What is it, Lord, that you are saying? Listen to him. And move forward in whatever he's leading you to. Walk in obedience to that. After we've finished the prayer, if, if you need to come up forward and, and talk to me or have prayer right then and there, I'll be glad to do that with you. But let's take a moment of quiet, reflective prayer, and then we'll pray together corporately before we sing. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is divinely inspired, inerrant, infallible, that it is truly the word of God, living and active. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me, that dwells inside of every follower of Christ. Father, I pray for those of us in here who profess Christ. Lord, that we, no matter what sufferings we face, no matter the hardships, the anxieties that come about, Lord, that we would remember that we are yours, that we have been bought with a price, that we have a living hope in Christ Jesus. And no matter how difficult the days are, as we sojourn through this world, waiting on the day for our eternal glory, the day of the chief shepherd appearing, so that we would walk in obedience to you, living holy lives, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel for every man, woman, and child. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us through the finished work of Jesus. Lord, if there is anyone within the sound of my voice, in person or online, that do not have a relationship with Christ, I pray, Lord, as your spirit is moving, as you're drawing them to yourself, Lord, that they would reach out and ask, what must I do to be saved? We know the beauty of your scripture. That we would confess our sins, we repent of our sins, confess our mouths with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God, you raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So, Father, I pray now in these next few moments as we sing the song of the goodness of you. Lord, that you would have your way. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. We are so unworthy. We're so thankful for your grace. I love you and I bless you. In Christ's strong name we pray. Amen.